All right, so we're on lesson number 19, Romans chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at uh, verse 17 through chapter 3 and verse 8. So this is a section on legalism. So my subtitle I, I chose was A Sense of Superiority, and boy... When you read down through this, you can pull that out. You have, to, you have to understand, Paul was not afraid to use sarcasm. He was not afraid to confront. Um, he would set up um, like a debate kind of in his mind with as if there was someone there, his opponent, and he would wrestle them to the ground. Right, so yeah, he, he'd throw them out of the ring. But um, no one won their arguments with Paul because their arguments were all in his head, <laughs> onto paper, and he always won. You know, if you're writing the story, you always win. So, but Paul was, and, and he engaged people like this, numbers of his letters, uh, especially Romans, Galatians, Colossians some, a little bit in Hebrews, a couple places in the pastoral epistles where Paul would, he would, like he was addressing someone. And he, we've seen that already. He addressed the hedonists, he addressed the moralists. Now he's going to address the legalists. And when we talk about legalism here, this biblical legalism is not our legalism that says, you know, if you have a tattoo, you can't go to heaven. Um, I don't know whether your tattoos will survive the rapture. I don't have a tattoo. I've got no reason. Jan and I were talking about that. I got no reason to want one. I, I you know, well, put it in a place where no one can see. Then why have it? I don't know. Okay. I'm not going there, but there are some people who absolutely go bananas. That's our legalism, but that really falls back under our last grouping called moralism, where they have established rules that they believe, and you have to abide by those rules in order to be accepted. This legalism, biblical legalism, is going back to the law. And this is applying the law and not just living by the Ten Commandments. This is the 613 commandments of the law. This is doing what the law demanded. And God did make demands. And some of those, you read through some of those chapters and you say, what is God thinking? It's, there's stuff in there that's... Uh, how, how can I even think about it? You can't blend different kinds of fabric together. You can't have cotton and linen woven or wool, either one of those, some, I think one of them. You can't weave them into the same way. You can't mix that. You can't eat this kind of food. You have to do this thing on a certain day. It, it drive you nuts. 613 commandments, and about one-third of those had to do with sacrifices. Because God knew you couldn't do the others, 
So you had to have a sacrifice. And you better make sure it's the right one. Now the priests supposedly to help you. But that's biblical legalism. So when we talk about legalism here, don't think of you can't drink beer, you can't play cards, you can't do this, you can't work on Sunday, you can't do any of those kind of things. And there was there was all kinds of that stuff when I was growing up. Right? You know, it's like cleanliness is next to godliness. So if you don't wash your hands, you've broken some kind of law. All right. But this legalism has to do with the law that was, was upheld by God's command to, let's, I want you to get this, to make the Jews different. It was to make the Jews exclusive. Why? Because their Savior is exclusive. And so the law was all about pointing out this, you can't do this because this is exclusive. And so the separation, this is clean, this is unclean. And there was a whole lot more unclean than there was clean. The clean represents the Messiah. The unclean represents man. And in order to get to the clean side, you had to have a sacrifice made of a clean animal offered in a clean manner by a priest who was dressed in clean garments. So all of this had to do with the fact that man cannot approach God. And so God doesn't hate donkeys. I mean, he doesn't hate donkeys, but you can't offer a donkey. But it was just God. It's like, God hates donkeys. You know, no, he doesn't. God, he made them. God doesn't hate shrimp. And I'm glad of that. The only shellfish I can't eat is scallops. And so God must hate scallops because I can't eat them. So anyway. <laughs> But there was all kinds of things, and it, all it was for was to make a distinction. This is clean. This is the Christ, the Messiah. You can't attain to that. This is unclean. Yeah, you live there. So use the sacrifices to get from unclean to clean. But the sacrifices were as much the part of the law as the demands that God made. Because he told you how to do it, when to do it, how it had to be offered, who had to offer it, all the things that had to be done. All right, so I'm not here to teach the law, but that is a significant part of what we're going to be reading. So I'm going to start just reading uh, Romans chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 17. And read down through the first part of chapter uh, 3. So, he said, But if you call yourself a Jew, and rely on the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children, 
having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, you proud superior person, you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? See, Paul is, <laughs> if, you, if you got in on this, all the first part, they say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. Oh, what, what do you mean? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? And Jesus expanded adultery to not just the practice or performance of it, but the thinking of it, desire of it. So, but I didn't steal, but you wanted it. To lust after someone else's stuff. That, that, that tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, that means want to. I didn't do it, I just wanted to. You're guilty. I'm not asking for hands. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? We'll talk a little bit about that verse. It's kind of strange. You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse 25, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? There's a lot in that verse. It's not really a lot. It's just a lot of words. Verse 27, then, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and the circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew, listen, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. The word, the letter, the phrase, the letter, refers to the law. His praise is not for man, but from God. A true person doesn't look for the praise of men, but of God. Again, we'll say more about this. Chapter 3, verse 1. <laughs> what advantage has the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfruitful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Verse 5, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. 
I speak in a human manner. Don't, what Paul is saying is, don't take me seriously. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? If I lie and God forgives me, doesn't that show God's goodness and his mercy? So the more I lie, the more glory God gets. No, just, no but that's, that's the argument that Paul's going for. And why not do evil that good might come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, though we haven't, their condemnation is just. Boy, that's uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of words, back and forth. Paul is setting up his, um, what is called a straw man, his opponent, who is just imagined, but he is going to tear him apart. So, Paul here, having dismissed the hedonist and the moralist in the first part of chapter 2, the moralist, and chapter 1, the hedonist, he moves to the most stubborn of his opponents, the legalistic Jew. The law-abiding, law-demanding Jew. Those who keep the law, that is called legalism, biblical legalism, not today's legalism. And you know what? This is the group that Paul is the most familiar with. So, in your notes I put a section from Philippians chapter 3. Read this. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's not talking about pit bulls. Look out for dogs. Dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh are all one group. They are the legalistic Jews. Paul would... Paul, 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 Paul wouldn't use the word dogs in reference. Yeah, he did. He just did. So get over it. For we believers, believers, we, not me before I was saved, we, all of us after we're saved, we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's not about the flesh. It's not about doing that stuff out there. It's about something in here that has changed. The righteous shall live by faith. It's an inward decision. It's an inward circumcision. Doesn't have anything to do with flesh. Though this change that takes place in here will ultimately have an impact upon my outward man and my lifestyle, but that's a couple chapters down the line. So he goes on. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, 
if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You can't trump me. Paul said, I, you want to talk about confidence in the flesh? You want to talk about legalistic Judaism? Here we go. Number one, circumcised on the eighth day. Not the seventh day, not the ninth day, not the twelfth day. The eighth day. Of the people of Israel, I was born of the people of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. I can name my tribe. Most of the Jews scattered throughout the Roman Empire could not. They had no idea. The ten tribes had been taken off to Assyria, scattered around the world. Most people lost connection, and they could not chase their tribal lineage. But Benjamin, Judah, and Simeon could, as along with Levi. So there was really only four of the tribes that were left to really carry the name. And Simeon was absorbed by Judah. Uh, Circumcised tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I've talked about that before, but what that means is though my family lived outside of Israel, I was born in Israel. My family moved me back here so that I could be born in the land. I'm not just a Hebrew from Tarsus. I'm not a Hebrew from Rome or Corinth or whatever. No, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, born in the land. That's so I can make sure that I am pure. As to the law, a Pharisee. I'm proud of it. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You want, you want to be zealous for Judaism? Kill Christians. Persecute them. I did. And at that time, I was proud of it. As to righteousness that comes from the law, blameless. Whoa. Now you say, oh, that, that has to be, you know, that's, that's real exaggeration. No. No, what Paul is saying, if I broke a law, what? I offered a sacrifice. I knew the exact sacrifice for every law that I broke. And I was sure to do it. You know what? You better be pretty wealthy. Or you're going to clean up your sin life. <laughs> Say, I can't afford to be a sinner. So, yeah, good point. But anyway, only a Jewish Pharisee would hold this kind of position. Only someone who is absolutely just swallowed up in the law could say all the things that Paul just said. In Rome, there must be some who had this view, or Paul would not be presenting this. I think it was Randy was asking me last week. You know, why is why Paul brings up all these different things and all these different groups? It, you, is that what you asked me about? Yeah. It, that's because there's people like this in Rome. Paul knows. He knows that there's, there's a good, there's a large group of very faithful believers, but he also knows that there are some believers there who hold to this kind of point of view. Mm-hmm. There are believers there who hold to 
the moralist type of view. There are people there who live a hedonistic life. They got saved, but they haven't changed their lifestyle. They're living like the world. Paul's going to address all of those things later on. And so this obedience, this righteousness was obtained by following the sacrificial system. Acts chapter 11 and verse 2. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to look at this attitude as it prevailed in the church during Paul's time. And so we go all the way back to, actually, actually 11 takes us back to Peter, who went to Cornelius' house. Remember that whole thing? And so here's the first time that specifically Gentiles were added to the church. And so Peter went, you know the story, Peter went, he preached at Cornelius' house, uh, he just following what God told him, the angel told him to go, so he goes, he preaches, and while he's preaching, what happened? The Spirit fell upon the people, they began speaking in tongues, Paul said, oh, you, you got it. Because in order for them to speak in tongues, they also had to have received the new birth, the Spirit of God had come upon them, Paul says, let's take them out and get them baptized. So they did. So then Peter, I said Paul, Peter, so then Peter goes back to Jerusalem, pretty excited about what just took place, until he runs into the Jewish crowd. Now these are believers who still hold to a very legalistic perspective. They're saved, but they still hold to the uh, attitudes of the law. Listen to their words, Acts chapter 11, verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Now that means uh, the, the, the group who belonged to this legalistic Jews. They were believers, but they were very legalistic. You must keep the law. Listen to what they say. Saying, verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. How awful. Just. Peter's response, I skip all the way down to verse 17. Peter's response after he goes through the story. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 11 says, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. What was that? The Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues. When we believed, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Whose way? God's way. Not my, this wasn't my doing. This wasn't Paul, Peter, Cornelius. We didn't work this up. God did it. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. I want you to notice a couple statements. They fell silent, and then they say, And to the Gentiles God has granted repentance. So what begins to develop is this attitude, Well, okay, maybe... We'll let the Gentiles in without keeping the law. 
But if you're a Jew and you get born again, you still got to keep the law. You think that didn't happen? Follow me. So we skip down to several years later, Acts chapter 15. They had a big council. Paul and Barnabas returned from their first missionary trip to the region of Galatia. They came back. They shared with the church at Antioch what had happened. And news got down to Jerusalem and Acts 15 verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... Look at the end of this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. What's that next thing? You what? You cannot be saved. You must follow the law. Being circumcised according to the custom of Moses meant you pledged yourself to the law. 613 commandments, including the sacrifices. That's what it meant. Circumcision wasn't just something that you did. It was your pledge to keep the law of Moses. And you can't be saved if you don't do that. Verse 5. But some believers, so Peter and Barnabas, by the way, Peter and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem to talk it over. <clears throat> and it says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, they're the party of the circumcision, the party of the Pharisees. This, this is no party that I know of. This is, <laughs> this is not a party. This is sad. This is sad. All right. The party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary. It, it is absolutely necessary. The word necessary means it has to be. It has to be to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. They've got to. You can't be a Christian if you don't do that. Skip down to verse 8. Peter gets up and speaks. And Peter says, And God, who knows the hearts, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts. How? How did God cleanse all the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost, how did God cleanse their hearts? By the law? No, by faith. And so they were cleansed by faith. And how did God cleanse the Gentiles' hearts? By faith. Listen to Peter's next statements in verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? You're not putting people to the test. You're putting God to the test with this legalistic attitude <clears throat> by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. We couldn't keep the law, but you want them to? Verse 11, but we believe, and I love this. I had never seen this till Pastor Bob one day was teaching through this section and pointed this out. Listen to the phrasing. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. So in, in the order of the statement, he says, they are saved by grace, and we are saved by grace. He puts them first. We are saved by grace, just as they are saved by grace. He didn't say, 
they are saved by grace just as we are saved by grace. So he puts the pressure back on the legalist. Gentiles get saved by faith. So do you. You think it's over? Acts chapter 21. Paul had three missionary journeys. At the end of his third journey, he stopped, by the way, in the city of Corinth and wrote the letter to the Romans. Then he went on to Ephesus, spent some time there, moved on, finally came to the Holy Land, to Palestine, finally came to Jerusalem. When he comes to Jerusalem, he gathers himself with the with the apostles, James, and it says, and the elders of the church, not the apostles of the church, the elders. So don't don't get the idea that Matthew and and Thomas and you know the other twelve were in on this. No, this is the elders of the church, not the twelve apostles. And it says, and when they glor- it says, and when they heard it, they glorified God. Acts twenty one twenty. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. In other words, this was an incredible revival taking place throughout the Roman Empire. Thousands of Jewish people were realizing Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Our Messiah has come. Jewish people were were being saved by the thousands What a glorious thing. And you think that they could be rejoicing over that, but they're not. And just because earlier they were silent, they didn't change their mind. They just stopped talking about it. Listen, how many thousands are among the Jews who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. Really? Do you know that? Or are they only following the law because you tell them they have to? And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. You can read all of Paul's letter. He never said that. He never said that. In fact, he quotes Moses. He talks about Moses being a person of faith. In fact, Moses occupies more space in Hebrews chapter 11 than anybody. So <laughs> this, the idea that Paul is against Moses, no. Paul never said, do not sac- circumcise your children. He never said that. But if you're doing the law in order to obtain righteousness, you're wrong. And that's the legalism. Verse 22, what then is is to be done. What, what are we going to do with you, Paul? So here Paul shows up in Jerusalem, and this thing is, Paul, what are we going to do with you? These, these people who are zealous for the law, these Jewish people who are out there want to keep the law. Really? Really? They want to keep the law? They want to live by 613 commandments? Tithe every leaf of rosemary? mint really they they want to do that they 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 want to live by this law and they're troubled by what they hear about you 
And so here, here's, here's what we think you should do, Paul. We sat together, we of the circumcision Pharisee party, the party crashers. <coughs> do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. These are Jewish legalists who have received Jesus as Messiah. So these are believers, all right? Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all, that is the legalistic believers, will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Paul just finished writing Romans. Paul does not live by the law. But here's what Paul does. Did you ever get pushed into a corner and do something that you didn't really want to do, but you felt like you had to? Found that often in China, Jonathan, eating things that I would never eat here. I was pushed into a corner. Here it's doctrinal. And listen, listen. I know there's people who think that Paul obviously walked on water like Jesus, had a halo around his head because that's where all the pictures show him, you know, with a halo around his head, that he was like the fourth person of the Godhead. But uh, that you also live in accordance with the law. Then Paul took them in. And the next day, he purified himself along with them and went into the temple. Now, that's a lot of words that's got a whole lot of theology behind it. Giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled. So they went in there. They told him how many days it was going to take to purify and all that kind of stuff. And listen, and listen, and the offering presented for each one of them that was the four men that went Paul and, and Paul. Paul paid for and offered sacrifices on the altar as the apostle of grace. All right. <laughs> That's being pushed into a corner. I got a statement down here from F.F. F. Bruce, uh, one of my favorite historical writers, I think one of the greatest of just um, on the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. Anyway, Bruce, <clears throat> here's his statement. At the end of the period of consecration, so here's, here's what happened. They would present an offering in the temple and their hair. So they shaved their hair, and then they presented their offering and their hair which they had now cut, and it all would be consumed in the sacrificial fire. So you present your hair along with your offering, and here's what the offering was. Follow this. The offering comprised one he lamb, one ewe lamb, one ram, and accompanying food and drink offerings, together with the hair of the consecration. And the whole thing was called a hair offering. What else would you call it? 
Paul, Paul, what are you doing? Burning sacrifices? Killing animals, drawing blood? And you're saved by grace? You preached the gospel of grace? Why would Paul do this? Because he's pushed into a corner. He wanted to come to Jerusalem. He wanted to bring the offering. He wanted it to be accepted. He wanted to make, make some kind of, of like alliance, friendship between the Gentile churches of, of Asia and Rome and Europe and, and Jerusalem. He wanted that all to flow together. But it didn't. Because Paul bought into the whole legalistic system. Has not Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law? Amen. Has he not become a sacrifice for us? Amen. How can you offer on an altar a sacrifice that represents him when he's already died and risen from the dead? what Paul did. And this again, as I said, is just a few months after he wrote the letter to the Romans. He's written the letter to the Galatians before this. These law-requiring Christians, law-demanding Christians, were in Galatia, they were in Ephesus, they're in Colossae, they're in Philippi, they're in Jerusalem, and they are in Rome. And you can find things in each one of those letters where Paul brings up this circumcision party. I don't want to make this offensive, but Paul goes so far in the book of Galatians chapter 5. He says, so if cutting off a bit of the flesh makes you righteous, why don't you just cut the whole thing off? And I will move on from there. <laughs> So Paul is pushing things to a limit. And he's saying, this, this can't be. Now, what I've got done here, and I'm not going to read through this. I put this on here because this is out of, again, one of F.F. F. Bruce's uh, commentaries. This is his paraphrase of Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. I want you to read that on your own. Just read through this. This, this whole section is really just... Bruce, who has the, the authority to translate directly from the original manuscripts and uh, in both Hebrew and Greek. And so he's got that kind now. He's, he's passed now, but he, he lived in England. And so he it's paraphrased this whole thing, and it's, it's a great read, okay? But let's go to chapter, or page three. So... Here's, here's the thing. Let's go back to chapter 2 and verse 17. Romans chapter 2 and verse 17. And so when we break all this down, here's what he says. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and follow these things, boast in God, know his will, approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor 
of the foolish, a teacher of the children having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. If you are all of that, if that's how you see yourself, that's an awful lot. But that was the way that the Jewish legalists saw themselves. Above everyone. Superior to everyone. And the if, I, I, I talk about this later on, but the if in this, the, all these statements, in the Greek language, there's, there's a four conditions of if. And this is a first condition if, which means if and it is true. Better translated since. Since you see yourself this way. Now, again, I want you to pick up the sarcasm that's in Paul. He's, he's not approving of them at all. In fact, he's using all of this not to praise them, which is what they would want, but in a sense to accuse them. You think this is you? You think you have all of this? And that is a lot. These statements he's actually making here, since all these things are true, the attitude should be, no, I can't, I'm, I, I can't do that. Yeah, I rely on the law, but I can't, I, 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 I don't know his will. I, I cannot approve of everything that's excellent. I have not accomplished everything that God wants done. I am not a teacher of the blind I am not a guide for everyone. I don't have all of this wisdom and knowledge. Uh, I, I need God. And so the, the point that Paul is making is you should be a model for people to say, I can't attain to what the requirements of God are. I can't do it. I can't. I need what? I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need a substitute. I need someone to give me a new life because I can't make a new life myself. He goes on in verse 1, you then, you, you're the one who says all these things, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You proclaim all these things, 613 commandments. You proclaim all of this. Do you do them all yourself? Do you follow all these things? Now listen to me, listen. If you say yes, that's because you've also broken them and offered sacrifices, which means I can't do them. Every sacrifice you offer says, I can't do it. I need someone. A sacrifice says, I broke it. I need blood or I die. So just the fact that you have offered sacrifice says, I can't do this. I can't. So he says, do you, do you teach others? You preach against stealing do you steal? I say, well, no, I've never gone to the store and stolen something. I don't go into people's houses and steal things. 
Did you ever bring a pencil home from work? A couple, just, just a few post-it notes? Paper clips. Oh, Gwen. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Throw a rock into the pack. Yep. Paper clips. You say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a thief. I don't live by it. God didn't say you had to live by it. He just said you have to steal. One, one thing. Okay, adultery. Jesus adds the fact that it's not, it's not the actual, just the performance. It's the thought. The fascination of doing it. Lusting after it. Imagining it. Thinking it. You've already broken the law. But you tell other people you can't commit adultery. I don't know what it was that Jesus wrote on the ground when they brought the woman caught in adultery. But my first, my first question every time I read that story is, where's the man? Where, where's, where's the man that was there? I mean, if it's adultery, there had to be more than just one woman or there's no adultery. Right, and so something had to be going on. Where is the man? He's escaped, or is he in the crowd? I don't know. Questions. What was it Jesus wrote? I don't know. List of people's names? <laughs> what you have done? Your sins? Some people believe he just started writing one, two, three. Four, ten commandments. I don't know. I don't know what he wrote, but obviously they did. And whatever it was, was enough to scare them away. They dropped their stones and walked away. Can't do this. He who is what? What was the question? Without sin. The one who is without sin. So, I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, but, that, but that's why you offer sacrifices, because yes, you have. And this whole thing about abhorring idols, you, those who detest or hate idols, um, do you rob temples? That, okay, this was, a, this was a thing in the Roman Empire at the time. And it's something that God condemned was to, dis to destroy not the idol. They often did that. Even the prophets in the Old Testament often destroy idols. But this thing of going in and robbing a temple. Because in those times, the temples were the banks. The temple is where people brought their money. And it was guarded. Who would rob a temple? Well... The Jews would, and they did. And so there was a whole thing about this that happened not long um, after Paul wrote this in, in Rome. And the, the emperor at the time, Titus, he threw all these people out of Rome. And so this was, and they were all Jews. And they thought, well, the temple is nothing. The gods who guide it, guard it are nothing. You know, these people are nothing, and so these Jewish guys just went in and 
ransacked the temple. Paul, in a sense, was accused of that same kind of thing in Ephesus when they riot with Diana, uh, Artemis, in uh, in that whole riot that took place, they were accused of that same kind of thing. He said, so you abhor idols, but you rob the temples where all the gold is. And you steal away from those things, things that don't belong to you. Verse 23. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You boast about it, but you break it. And you know you do because you offer sacrifices. You say, well, no, if I offer a sacrifice, I didn't break it. Yes, you did. That's why you offered the sacrifice. Thank you. You you can't say I didn't break it because you offered the sacrifice. Israel's history is a history of the faithfulness of God, listen, and the faithlessness of Israel. That's their history. The faithfulness of God and the faithlessness of the nation. God would give them a break. He would give them an opportunity, and they would violate it. Joshua gave them the land, and not long after he was dead, they needed another savior or judge. The Hebrew word for judge is the same as the word for savior. And so they needed another savior. They needed somebody to come. Then they needed another one. Then they needed another one. Then they needed another one. A cycle going on and on. Till finally they called for what? What they wanted. They wanted a king. God said no. They said, yeah, we want one. God said, no. He said, but everybody else has one. It is, it is the most pitiful whining argument you've ever heard in your life. Everybody else has one. So, you know, so they, they just decided they wanted a king. And so God said, all right, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And here's what he's going to do. Uh, you'll like him for a while, but then you'll hate him. And they did. And Saul wrecked the kingdom. David became their king. Sometimes it went good. Sometimes not so good. Why? Because David was not perfect. So then it passed to Solomon. There we go. The wisest man in the earth. If you're so wise, why do you have 700 concubines? Yeah. Ooh, that's, that's not wisdom. Um, so then Solomon passed it on to his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam said, you hated my dad and all the taxes and all the oppression he brought. You, you just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. And Rehoboam came down on them so hard. So God brought a man named Jeroboam and said, all right, I'll make you king in Judah as long as one of the, the family of David always sits on the throne. You can be king, but there has to be a place for one of the sons of the kingdom. Jeroboam was not from the line of David. Jeroboam said, I'll do it. And then he broke it. 
And so it didn't last very long at all. They brought one king after another. Some were good, some were bad, but almost every one of them failed somewhere. God was what? Faithful. God didn't walk off. He never walked off. God's faithfulness. One of the, one of the books that I've, I've read, Jan and I actually listened to it on, on audio, was the story of Hudson Taylor, the Inland China Mission, China Inland Mission, and um, incredible story. That there's there's a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, and it it is incredibly impressive, and you you just read through this and and here's I, I hate to destroy the book for you, but here's the secret: the faithfulness of God. Not Hudson Taylor's faith, not other people's faith, the faithfulness of God. God is faithful, we are not. And Israel's history is the story of God's faithfulness and the faithlessness of the nation. And it's celebrated over and over. Here's some Psalms. Look at this about the middle of your page three. Psalm 50, Psalm 78, Psalm 105, and Psalm 106. Those are just four. They're, they're what we call a, a ballad. It's a historical statement in, made to music. And so uh, they, they follow all these things. And over and over, God does this to get them out, they follow for a while, and then they rebel, or they disobey, or they leave God, and God rescues them, and they do it again, and God rescues them, and they do it again, and God rescues them, and they do it again. Ultimately, what did God do? He sent them to Babylon, but when he sent them to Babylon, what did he do? He brought them back. Who's faithful? Not not one of them. So all of these are statements. And so here in Romans chapter 2, uh, in, in verse 24, it says, For it is written, Paul here quotes from the Old Testament, the book of, of uh, Isaiah, For as it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. God is blasphemed because of you, legalistic. I can do this law. I have got it. I'm able. I can perform. I will fulfill all these things. I am superior. No, you're not. And so all of these things are, are what God has, has brought against. I put down a couple other passages. We'll just finish up with these. Ezekiel chapter 26. God doesn't just allude to these things. He says them. I'm sorry, let me start with Isaiah 52 and verse 5. It says, Now therefore what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, 
Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. This, this is the rulers of Israel. Despising the name of God. Because he's asked them to do what they don't want to do. But they say we're, 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 we're keeping the law. Ezekiel 26. Here's where I was going. Ezekiel 26. Look at this. Verse 20. When they came to the nations, it's the people that got scattered. And when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. Oh, well, that's not right. But it's true. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Verse 23, Ezekiel 26, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. Well, that's not really very, um, <laughs> you know, that's, it's no commendation from the Lord. But that was part of why God brought them to just, justice, brought them to judgment. That's why they needed what? A Savior. Amen. I can't do this. I can't do it. Do you know there were people who really didn't follow the sacrificial system, but just poured themselves out before God and said, I can't do it. I need a Savior. Paul is going to quote this later on, but I want you right now to turn over to Isaiah 50 or Psalm 51. Now let me read it from Romans 4. That way we're reading it from Romans so we can stay within Romans. Turn, turn to Romans chapter 4. We can skip ahead a little bit. It's the same thing. It's just I'm going to read it from the book of Romans. It says in verse 6, Romans chapter 4, verse 6, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works or performance or production, God counts righteousness. The word counts, by the way, in the Greek language, is, a, is a, uh, an accounting term, which means to write it down, to write it in a column, put it in a ledger. God writes it down as righteousness apart from you doing the work. Here's what, here's what David said. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't even apply under the law. David reached outside of the law to have this kind of a statement. There, was, there is no sacrifice for premeditated murder. Go back and read the law. None. 
if you accidentally murder somebody. I'm not sure how that happens, but there's a sacrifice. You could escape to Hebron, live in a, in a Levitical city. But if premeditated murder, which David did to Uzziah, or adultery, there was no sacrifice. Yet David said, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. David said, you know, there's no, there's no law for me. There's no sacrifice for me. I, I have nothing to offer but my contrite heart. I break it and I pour it out before God. And God forgives. I can't live by the law. And that's what God wanted his people to say. But they didn't say. They say, yeah, we, we can do this. We can do this. And we don't even need a Messiah. So when the Messiah came, they what? Rejected him because I don't need a Messiah. I can do this myself. Mother, I can do it myself. I still, what was the, An aspirin. Anderson? Mother, I can do it myself. All I, all I remember is the phrase. God, I can do it myself. I don't need you. That's what this whole section has been saying. But they do. So, next week we'll pick up from here. Ritual, in which we're going to talk about the issue with circumcision, and then we're going to talk about these questions that Paul throws at them at the end of this section starting in chapter 3 verse 1 and onward Paul throws one question after another and before you get time to think for an answer he throws the next question and while you're still trying to come up with the right answer he throws the next question and so on and on Paul is going to in a sense accuse until you lay down and say I need a savior all right